Welcome to the stage, Mrs. Shanna Grins William, the incredible, the fabulous, the beautiful, and eyelashingly incredible Shanna Montana. Come on up. She's going to share a word this morning. She, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to buckle your seatbelts because she hears from the Lord and she wants to share it with you. So welcome her. New Jersey, who is doing incredible things to keep his students in school. I knew I wanted to have him on the show. Here's his story. Good morning. You ready? You look like you got a smile on. You good? Yep. What's up, baby? You ready? My name is Akbar Cook. I am the new principal of Westside High School here in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. Westside is located, we call it the number blocks, and bad things usually happen on the number blocks. And we have a lot of gangs from different areas, so when my kids have to travel to school, they have to navigate through some of those gangs to get to school. Two years ago, we had a situation where a young lady was coming in school, and while the security guard was getting ready to go through a bag, she took a, a full bottle of water, 16 ounce, and hurled it at the security guard's face. She ended up starting kicking stuff over and tearing up the place. Police have to come, and when they called me back in, they said, Cook, she had a, um, a bag full of dirty clothes, and she was homeless, and she didn't want anyone to know. Most people take for granted having clean clothes. Some of my babies were homeless. Other babies are coming from homes where there's no parent, where they cannot wash clothes in their house. So this was leading to so many issues in my building, which was bullying, fights because of the bullying, and then attendance. They just wasn't coming to school. And I knew I had to do something about it. It was my idea to bring in some washers and dryers in here. Let's take care of that obstacle. And that started this whole chain of, uh, of good things to come. It's been a long two-year journey, and I'm so happy to say that we have five commercial washes, five commercial drives, in our laundry facility that we were able to open just in time for the school year. A person like Cook, you don't really want to let him down because, like, he always got you, your back. He don't let you down, so, like, why let him down? One thing when I first came to Westside, he asked me what this family means. So I'm thinking, like, family, like, brothers and sisters. He like, nah, family stands for forget about me, I love you. People heard this story and it resonated with them and the love that has been coming in is, is so overwhelming. This is the new normal for urban education. We are really laying the foundation for what a community school looks like and what better way to change the world but in a, in, in a school. I mean, come on, nothing beats that. Quite impressive, quite impressive. That's amazing. First of all, the neighborhood looks very, like, like it's the odds are stacked against them to start before they even get to school. Absolutely. Uh, some of the kids have to travel from two miles or better, and the miles become longer when you have to navigate through the gang. So it's just, just when they show up, I'm just so happy that they came that day. It's just amazing. Yeah, because there was a, there was a, a higher rate of losing kids before this happened, right? Yes. Um, so... When I first got to the school, we, we, I lost a student, and, I, and it was my first bout with death, and it was like, wow, this, this, this goes on in schools. I thought this was something I'd just seen on TV. And uh, uh, we had to come up with different ways to, to navigate the, 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 the journey for them coming to school and just to just be there for them, this, this love. I just call it love. I just try to give so much love that it's just, they give it back to me. Well, so. you can see that in the, in the setup package. You can see how much they, that they respect you and how much you love them. So you're, you're a brand new principal, but you've been at the yes. school for how long? So I've been at the school four years in a vice principal capacity. Uh -huh. But uh, I'm only three weeks in as a principal, and I'm so excited that I get to, to yeah. yes, thank you. Yes, I'm so happy to. To lead, lead, to lead kids that, that look like me, that sound like me. I'm from the area, so I'm so happy when I got the opportunity to lead them. I'm just, I'm just so happy and I'm nervous that I'm on Ellen. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, I admire you for what you're doing, and, and these kids are really lucky to have you because, you know, the, you're somebody that they can look up to and say, you know, look, look what I can do. Yes. So you've had this laundry room for, since the beginning of school. Yes. How has that changed things? Wow. So it, I know that, I know that uh, my students were staying home for a reason. We had a study that was said that 85% of my students were staying home 
uh, and they was severe, excuse me, severely chronically absent. That means they were staying home three to five times a month. And after we started making calls and, and, and finding out what was going on, we, we had listened to the parents and they said, I don't have it, I can't wash the clothes. The kids were saying I was being bullied, fights, I'm gonna fight because of this. So we had to come up with a, a, a plan and I'm so happy that we started this laundromat because just the love has been coming in and we, we already did so many loads of clothes. I'm just so happy that uh, I removed that barrier and now we can get to the root of everything, which is just, it's just educating the kids and that's what it's about. Yeah, well you're doing it. And here's another thing that you're doing. You have this after school program called Lights Are Always On, what's it called? Lights On, so we came up with the name Lights On because right now, even in California, you drive by school at night, the lights are on. So I was saying, how about we put some loving people in there that love the kids more than the, the, their job and, and let's you know, take care of them and give them a safe place because in my town, crime was most prevalent from 6 to 11 p.m. And the local police department said, Cook, if you can come up with something, that would help us out because those kids, are, they have nothing to do, so they would get into some trouble. And I can say that, it was new for me. I, I told you I opened up with a death, but we was losing girls, and that's new. Like I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't lose boys, but when you lose like my little baby, my princesses, it's like you have to do something. And so I started adding more things like henna and makeup. I go to the store and I buy the like short eyelashes for them. I make sure that that's taken care of. But I want to say since we started this program, I haven't lost any more kids to gun violence, and I'm just so happy. That's amazing. That. So you call them, you called them your babies, and uh, why is that? Yes, I'm an advocate of the term locus parentis and event the parent is there, I'm not the parent. So what better way to show them your love than call them babies? I don't care if they're 20, they're my babies. So what I do is uh, we, we say from the time you enter my doors until you're gainfully employed, I'm going to follow you because I really care and I want them to know that love because they know I'm there. I'm never leaving their side, so they're my babies and forever. Yeah. So sweet. You know, but my friends at Cheerios are so inspired by what you're doing to support students. They want you to continue helping young people, so they're going to give Westside High School a check for fifty thousand oh dollars. also want to support your Lights On program by providing a pantry of food for your students to use all year long. So they're oh going to do God. that. Go to our website to find out how you can help Akbar School. Amen. Hey fam, hey Destiny family. <laughs> I know some of you are like, Pastor Sean has her to preach. <laughs> but I'm going to come alive in the second service. So if you were in the first service, you're going to get a second message because I'm going to share everything on my heart. <laughs> uh, before I get started this morning, though, I want to bring some honor to a couple of people. Uh, first of all, Pastor Sean and Pastor Deanna. Um, when my husband and I decided to come to church here last year, last summer, um, we had broken off um, from a church, um, a church plant that we were helping with, and we uh, were just kind of floating, and I found out that Pastor Sean and Pastor Deanna were going to be replacing, um, were going to be coming on board, and Pastor Brent and Tana were leaving, and um, I grew up with Pastor Brent. I actually, my father pastored, and um, I actually remember when Pastor Brent was singing at our church in Sturgis, and he announced that him and Tana were going to be starting a church in Rapid. So that's how old I am. And I'm like, young? Yeah. Oh, thank you for the lights. See? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Pastor Sean and Deanna were in youth ministry when my father was in youth ministry. And so um, I've had the opportunity to learn from them and love them for a long time. And uh, when I heard they were coming, I had messaged Deanna and I said, oh, girl, I just can't wait for you to be my pastor, uh, this beautiful, strong, indigenous woman, and isn't it amazing that um, as the tides turn in our city and cultural relations and all these other things come to play, that God brings exactly what we need when we need it, and um, I love Pastor Ray and Tana, you know, they're part of my growing up, but I see the new move that God is doing, and I celebrate them being the keepers of this house, and so I I love you guys. I love to bless them. If you get an opportunity, you guys, 
Bless them, bless them, bless them. I love them so much. Um, I had a fun doing worship this morning. I have to tell you guys, I did not go off key one time during the first service. And then we had to come in for the reprise for offering, of course, my amazing, gorgeous husband, who is like the most amazing man in the world. It's his birthday today. Can you guys say happy birthday? Well, um, he has like perfect pitch. So of course he would be here and my voice would crack. So it's just the ways that God keeps me real. So you can uh, count that a blessing. Um, but lastly, before we get started today, um, joining us up on the worship team this morning were two friends of mine. One of them um, who was playing the saxophone is over here. He had his alto tenor and a soprano over there. This is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jose Crespo. Uh, <laughs> He and his beautiful wife are um, friends of our family. Aaron and I love them and their kids, Amelia, Lucas, and Caleb. Um, but uh, Joe was actually a youth leader with me in Chicago um, when I lived there years ago. Um, Joe said 2002, so I'm going to go with that. But um, I was uh, serving as a youth worship leader in a bilingual church in the inner city of Chicago. And um, since I was one of the, is it gringo? I haven't said that in a long time. Yeah, okay. So that was the like gringa in the, uh, <laughs> they asked if I would fill in for the English worship service. And I was like, well, sure, I got this, you know. And uh, Joseph's family actually pastors in Puerto Rico for over 30 years. His mom and dad, they are been a long time part of the ministry. And he had moved to Chicago and was living with his cousin, right? Your aunt, aunt and cousin. And um, he was going to be coming up to Chicago to medical school, and he started going to church with them. And um, they asked him to come and support me and play. And so he came in, and he had a saxophone, and these were the days of Kenny G at his height. And so I was like, wow, you know, you can play a saxophone. And um, I said, well, what songs do you know? And he's like, anything. I can play anything. <laughs> I was like, okay, but like, what chords do you know? And... <laughs> Um, he's like, anything. He's, he's like, you just worship and I'll just, I'll just follow you. And to this day, um, at that time, I had some vocal notes and I could barely sing. And um, we went into worship and the, and the team and he did just that. He did just follow and, oh man, just ushered in the presence of the Lord. And he forever holds uh, a place in my heart and then just his wife and kids too. But um, last summer when my husband and I were RVing, I got a message from him. I hadn't heard from him maybe in... Probably 10 years, huh? And um, he said, Shanna, aren't you from South Dakota? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, um, you're not going to believe this, but my mom reminded me of that. She said, don't you remember that girl in Chicago that used to play the piano for worship? She's from South Dakota. And he said, I'm in the military, and my wife and my family just got stationed there, and we are literally driving in the car. And I think, was Amelia like three weeks old, four weeks? Yes, yeah, she was just curving on the end of two months old and Amanda his wife was traveling with a newborn and two dogs and two rambunctious boys and her soon-to-be lieutenant colonel and they made the trek across South Dakota and they arrived here and um, Aaron and I count them as family and we love them but it was a joy to have him on the worship team this morning bringing his gifts yeah so they have a little bit less than a year with us now but um, we'll hopefully get to enjoy him some more. So, um, and then also on the stage with us this morning was Jacob. Jacob is a friend of ours um, who works at Hagerty's, and we asked him to come and help us with another event this weekend. And um, for those of you who don't know, my um, father-in-law is the legendary Donnie Williams. Um, <laughs> and so him and Aaron were going to come play with us, but he's down in Rosebud ministering. So I said, Jacob, do you want to come and uh, play lead guitar with us? And he was like, sure. <laughs> so... Um, that is my heart, you guys. I mean, the body of Christ is more than just destiny, which I think destiny is amazing. But I want us to practice what we're going to be doing in heaven, which is getting to that room and getting to that place of worship and getting to those streets of gold and that mansion and being like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, come on, grab a microphone, come worship with us. Um, that is the heart of God. He is a father and we are his kids. So um, will you turn with me if you go to your... Um, bulletin here. We're going to read out of Galatians. You guys want to stand up with me? Get some wiggles out. If I could get someone to bring me a little purple pamphlet, but I'll read it up from up here. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. 
with him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think that you're too important to stoop down to help another, you are living in deception. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. And their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves, not in being affirmed by others. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. Let's go to James for a second here. James 5.16 of the Amplified says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another, that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man believer can accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this body of believers, and I thank you, God, that we have seats available for those that are coming, Lord, that our seats are out in the community, that our extension is out there, that as we learn to love one, one another more and more, Lord, that you'll send us more people to love, that you'll send us more people to bring restoration to you, that we can meet their needs, that we can minister to their children and to their youth and to their elders, Lord. I thank you that you have provided the space in the room for us, and as our love matures and it restores, Lord, you will be the deliverer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been talking about habits um, in, with Pastor Sean, and we are on I, which is investing in one another. And um, Pastor Sean said, Shayla, you can uh, speak on whatever you want, but if you want to stay with I, go ahead and do it. And I said, well, what is I? And he sent me those two scriptures, and he said, investing in one another. So in my heart, I um, was thinking about mm, investing. Um, my husband and I love to invest. Um, we believe that God has called us to be visionaries and entrepreneurs. And um, my husband has shown me a lot about investing. How about taking the little that you have to make it bigger? And um, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to compare deposit versus investment? So a deposit, as we most of us know, if we're going to use an example of money, is taking what we have and putting it into a place to keep it safe. And, you know, depending on what bank you go to, it could, could gain a little interest or something, but it's basically just taking what we have and putting it in a safe place. Where investment is taking what you have, seeing the bigger picture, putting it into the place, and praying by faith, knowing, thinking that it will be bigger than what you put in, that it will multiply itself right? An investment is saying, oh, I'm going to enter what I have here, the seed that I have here. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to hope that it does well. It's going to get bigger. It's going to multiply itself. And in doing so, I'll be able to take another seed from that and I'll be able to invest more and more. So when we talk about loving one another and investing one another within the body of Christ, we are an investment. I don't just want to have a deposit and, oh, I'm going to share my heart just with you and will you keep it safe? I want to have an investment where I'm able to give something to you and to you and to you. And so when I come to church, it starts multiplying. Isn't that the gathering of what Sunday should be when we come together and we rejoice about everything that God's been doing for us all through the week and the things that he's done through us? We can find that place of rejoicing if we've been in the place of investing and investing in one another. I would venture to say that it's probably a tough conversation with the church these days about loving one another. I mean, how many of us know somebody who's been offended and has left the church? How many of us have been the one that was offended and left a church or left a ministry or something? It's okay, I'll just raise my hand, just me. Okay. <laughs> and then how about, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you guys have been the one that have offended someone? And you didn't know how to, okay, yeah, thanks, Deanna. Switching my sister, yep, yep. Oh, Jana, yeah, her and her mouth. They offended somebody. <laughs> you know, I think that God looks at us like a father in his truest nature. And as I look at my kids, and I look at them and I see all that they have and all that I'm willing to give them. And I'm like, why, why are you guys fighting over that? Like, why, I mean, what are you? <laughs> 
this doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that God looks at us too and says, oh, the last thing that I thought was that you would fight amongst yourselves, you know, comparing scripture, disagreeing on philosophy. I thought you would find this safe haven together as love and it would grow. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say that the world will know us by our love. How many of you guys have ran into someone who wasn't walking with the Lord? Maybe it was someone that was saved and was like, oh, I've been just waiting to meet one of you. I've just, I've just been waiting to meet a Christian. I've just heard that you guys are just all about love. Or are they like, oh, yeah, I grew up in church and oh, I'm just not ready to, to be there because they, they don't want to meet that judgment, right? They don't want to know what the, they don't want to be exposed do you guys know that investments don't expose? In fact, God never teaches with shame. He never restores with guilt. In fact, one of the things I love about Principal Cook's story is he says that I just want to love them so much over and over again that they cannot help but their response be back with love. Is that where our love is for one another? Or is there holes in it? Is there holes of expectation, maybe of disbelief? Maybe our love isn't perfect. There's hope today because today we're going to learn to love. So in your notes, there's four spaces. I would love for you to write down four things that describe your love, like yours alone, you personally, not what you think Jesus' love is, just your love. So for me, Shanna's love is loud. My husband... His birthday is today, and um, I was going to give him this big gift last night at the restaurant. And he said, Chan, are you going to make a spectacle of me? And, which was my whole plan. You know, I wanted to, like, bless him out loud. I wanted to love him out loud, you know. I wanted the world to know I loved him. And his love is different than mine. He's like, you know what? I'd rather you give it to me at home and in quiet so that I can tell you how much I love it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but my love is loud. If I, if I love you, I give big hugs. I love loud. Um, that might not be the characteristic of Jesus, but I don't think that he's too embarrassed of me. But uh, <laughs> let's write four things that you think your love is. All right, you got him? All right, I put, loving to purpose is an act where lovability is my accountability. For my brother, for his call, for our purpose as the body of Christ, widely how we carry each other and cover one another is how we testify to the world. It's how we're branded. Oh, every time my kids are in their presence, they just love them to pieces. We got to go to Disney World this uh, spring and they have an ice cream shop in old school, you know, in Magic Kingdom. <laughs> And I'm telling you, when you enter that ice cream shop, like the flavor, like I think that the wallpaper is like scratch and sniff because it smells like so good. I could tell that my, my jaws <laughs> were percolating, you know, my, like all my taste buds were just like, oh my word, you know, like the, the cone that was salivating. <laughs> I was really hoping to press Deanna with my vocabulary, but it doesn't look like we're on the right track. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, it was like the smell of, um, you know, like the waffle cone and the cinnamon and like the caramelishness mixed with the vanilla bean and, you know, I mean, it's Disney, right? But the smell in there was like amazing. Like I could taste the smell. And uh, <laughs> my kids came in, same reaction. They were like, mom. I just don't know what I want. It smells so good in here. Like everything just smells so yummy. You know, so as we stood there like in line, you know, by the time you get up to the ice cream, you know, which is like 50 people long, you have like you're already full, you know, in your mind, but you just got to order that one thing and you get to the order and it tasted every bit of good as it smelled. And um, I was, one of my favorite verses about the Lord is that the fragrance of Christ and so I love smell, and I love essential oils too. Let me, I'll take that for a second, but wouldn't it be cool if the, when people came in, just the way our, just 
just the way people felt when they were in our presence, you know, that they could taste that there was no condition on our love, that it was very lavish, that it was very uncommon, fulfilling. You know, when they hit the door of our church that they just, you know, do your kids go, we're at church, your husband, you. It can be. Our love can be so thick that people can be changed before we even actually have to say a word to them. Because everything good that I see on earth is somehow to me modeled in what a good God he is. Everything good, like when I watch, my husband will love this, but when I watch a Disney movie, like all of the scenery and the vastness, you know, when I watch Rio and how beautiful Brazil is, I can't help but think God made that. Every great thing about him is so rich. And so when I come to reflect his love for my brother, as we read in Galatians, he says, those who are spiritual, those who have understanding, those who carry restoration in their speech, those who carry unconditional love with them, go to your brother who is having faults and give them a time out and let them know about your accountability program that happens on Thursday night, right? (laughs) Or does he say, go to him and restore them. Mark them with God's love. Mark them whole. Mark them healed. Mark them restored. Because we are in the last days. To be branded by anything else but our love is falling short of God's purpose for us. The world just needs love. Here's a love exercise for you. I know that maybe having Ellen up on the screen this morning maybe wasn't your favorite host to see. But Ellen's my sister. And I love her. And I love the way that she gives. And God's going to use me to show her who Jesus is. If you need an exercise at home, why don't you start putting some pictures up of people from all around the world, all nationalities, all different creeds. Make sure that maybe they don't believe just like you and see if your heart changes with each picture. And then do it again and try and keep the same thread of love because that's how God sees us. He sees no fault that he would die while I was yet a sinner. He loves me. And as pictures flash before my eyes of people who have offended me or I've offended or maybe I culturally was conditioned not to accept them, all of that becomes washed in the blood of Jesus because his love is perfect because he's a perfect father. When you stumble, when you fall, he's not shaken. He loves us perfectly. He's so good. So good. The uns of God's love is unconditional, unfailing, unending, unwavering, unfathomable, unmeasurable. Where does your love and God's love reflect each other the most? If you are a parent that says, do what I say or else, or if you are a friend, isn't it funny that we make friends with you know, people who are kind of like us, but we actually open in conversation with people who have differences than us. Like, I can openly have a conversation with someone who hates onions, because I hate onions, I don't really, but, you know, we can kind of giggle or strike this conversation other than the fact that we both love olives. You know what I mean? That stronger seed of we both hate something is sometimes stronger than we both love something, right? I teach that to my staff. I said, when we are working with children, we want to be displaying the most positive atmosphere that we can display. 
But if we are concentrating on the negative, oh, I don't like her either. Oh, you know, some of us, do you guys know that song Jolene by Dolly Parton? Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. You know, I think some of us are, we think that God's going to ask us to pray with Jolene, you know, when we get to church. And really God is saying, I am more than enough that believe what's inside of you can lavishly go to someone else and vice versa, that that investment from them can multiply us. I was, um, had just gotten my apartment. I was, uh, I think probably 23, and I had nothing. I had just left an inner city ministry that I was working with, and I was um, on my way to becoming a trainer. And my girlfriend from Wisconsin that I met, her name was Danielle, she she had come over to my apartment. We had always gone out to a pizzeria um, named Father and Son, which was amazing. And I was like, yeah, you should come over. I just got an apartment. All I had was ramen noodles, like nothing else. And um, Danielle had moved to Chicago from Wisconsin, and she was working at a law firm downtown amongst the skyscrapers. And um, Danielle came up to my apartment, which was on the third floor, I think, and um, I had nothing. I didn't even have, like, an area rug, okay? And I had, like, three wash rags from the dollar store. I just, I really didn't have anything. I had my clothes, and I wasn't sleeping on a bed yet. And um, she's like, Shanna. No, I have nothing. And I go, yeah, it's okay. You know? <laughs> and we had ramen noodles. And she really didn't say it, you know, say anything else. And um, she left my apartment that day and went to work the next day and sent out an email in this big skyscraper uh, attorney office that she worked in. And she said, friend new to the community has nothing. If you have anything you'd like to donate, let me know. This is my email. So the end of the work week came, and Danielle had received massive amounts of emails from all these attorneys in her skyscraper. And she had filled up a U-Haul packed full of stuff and had driven it over to my house. And uh, she knocked on my door, all of this unbeknownst to me, she knocked on my door. She's like, Shan, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. She's like, come downstairs with me. I said, okay. So I went downstairs, and she had this big U-Haul up front, and she went, you know, just like flew up the door. And it was like every crevice and cranny of that U-Haul was packed full of these amazing things that she had gathered from my apartment. And I began to weep. And I was like, what's this? And she's like, oh, I just sent out an email, and um, I asked all the attorneys if they had anything extra they wanted to give that, you know, that I had a friend in need, and this is what I gathered. Danielle didn't have a car. She was not loaded with anything. But she saw my need, and she was practical. And it blessed me beyond words. As we began to unload that U-Haul up my three flights of stairs and three flights down and three flights up, Every step that I took, I was like, man, God, that you would love me so much that somebody would, (laughs) I mean, ask. You know, years later, I would have the opportunity to give that stuff away as I was moving away. But actually, last year, my husband and I had decided to simplify our lives and, and give away everything that we had. And that familiar place came back to me of as extravagant as God is, as reckless and amazing and wonderful and good and unconditional and unfathomable, his love is practical. It practically sees, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I see that you're in need. It's practical. It's also void of shame. And God doesn't put you on a timeout from your call or put your purpose on pause because of your behavior. But in fact, he encourages us, if you know any one of us are off track, we should go to one another and restore. Love to purpose. 
I'm going to love you to your purpose. My love, I want to be modeled like the Lord, but I also want it to be practical to where you can use it and you can learn to walk out step by step. I want you to taste it. I want it to be like frankincense and myrrh in the room when you walk in to love. Do you know that frankincense, one of the reasons they gave to Jesus was because it's a magnifier. And the wise men, knowing that he was holy, took frankincense as a special gift and they bestowed it on him. Is your love like frankincense? Does it magnify everything good about the people in your church, the outreach programs, our children's ministry, our youth ministry? Can people taste it? Can they smell it? Does it fill their senses? I often think that if God knew my shortcomings, he would magnify them. But that's not his character. It's not exploiting. In fact, it's so full of forgiveness, so concentrated on canceling the shame and wiping out the record that you have that there's deliverance in his love. Do people feel delivered in your presence? Do they feel peace? Do they know that you're branded by love? And when you tell them where you go to church, do they say, I've been waiting to meet one of you. I've heard that your love is amazing. The potluck, or pot bless as people like to call it, I feel like is the most practical form of love that our church still uses today. I mean, we all bring our portion in one plate. And in doing so, just us bringing our portion, many, 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 many people are fed, right? I'm guilty of bringing just a 99-cent box of pasta. Then when I married my husband, he said, we're going to bring ribs to every potluck that we go to. So now we're the ribs pot. How many of you guys want to invite us over now that you know we bring ribs? (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it cool that something so practical, it's not a prayer chain or a prayer line or revival preparation, but it's the most practical part of if I bring my portion... And my portion added to your portion, from your portion to your portion to your portion, fed everyone around me. God's love is so vast and lavish that it reaches every part of our practical needs and highest hope. It mobilizes what is paralyzed. It removes obstacles. It shields us from shame. While arriving at redemption's well, it says drink. It leaves no holes. There is nothing that it won't cover. In fact, it was a stone-dropping, tomb-breaking, reckless-loving, outnumbered by an army that was coming after you, jail cell-breaking, redeeming, disease taken away. Those were the things that happened in the midst of God's love. What's happening in the midst of him moving through me? Let's turn to Luke. Luke 5, 17 through 26. One of those days when he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village and town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem at the power of the Lord and the power of the Lord was present with him to heal them. And behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed, and they tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him with his stretcher through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus. And when he saw their confidence in him springing from their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason and question and argue, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts and questionings, answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power of authority and right on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise, pick up your stretcher and go to your own house. And instantly the man stood up. Oh, I'm sorry, actually it says, and then he went to their ministry meetings and learned how to become a minister over the next year. No, no. <laughs> And instantly he stood up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went to his house, recognizing and praising and thanking God. Overwhelming astonishment and ecstasy seized them all and they recognized and praised and thanked God and they were filled with and been controlled by reverential fear and kept saying, we've seen so wonderful and strange and credible and unthinkable things today. An overwhelming astonishment seized them, and they all recognized and began to praise. So here's what's happening. These four friends, their fifth friend is paralyzed. He's on a stretcher. They're carrying him because they believe that if they can get him to Jesus, maybe they can all, you know, be a skateboarding gang or something, you know? So they take him to Jesus, and... uh, and they get there and it's crowded. Everybody's sitting in their own row and they just don't have a way in. They don't have a golden ticket, you know. Overflowing with people because wherever Jesus was, there was healing, you know, there was so much love. So instead of getting discouraged and saying, oh, we're gonna have to wait till he comes back to Samaria or something to see if maybe we can get in to see him then. You know, the Benny Hinn line is too long. (laughs) They didn't. They took their sandals because I don't think that uh, they had roof trucking shoes on. I imagined it like this last night. Like, like how would the four of them get him on the roof? Because it says they took his stretcher with them. So, like, was he, like, piggyback on someone's shoulders and someone else beside them? And how, how would they have gotten up to the roof? They get up to the roof, and the Bible says that they started peeling back tiles. And I saw those tiles of years of religion. Because when I get my friend to Jesus, I don't want him to be stopped by these religious obstacles. They peeled back a roof. And I could see the Pharisees inside being like, what is happening in the roof right now? Like, there's dirt falling, like, the ceiling is coming unglued. This is, like, a typical Jesus gathering that's, like, full of chaos and just, it's crowded in here, it's hot, and now the ceiling is coming in. But the sign of that ceiling coming in was a sign of four guys that had made an investment into the fifth guy who couldn't walk on his own. And they were peeling back all of these things until they put him on a stretcher and they lowered him down to... Jesus, and Jesus said, I can just feel you in this room. I can taste you, I can smell you, I can feel your lavish goodness. He said, wow, I just love your love that you have for your brother. I just love your faith that you have for him. In fact, all of your sins are forgiven right now, every last one of you. And oh yeah, I see you. I see you. You, you're healed today. And that goodness, that restoration, that redemptive power that only Jesus could bring caused everybody to worship. If I wanted to change the world, I would start by loving you. How many of us have 
someone in our life who's paralyzed. Maybe they're paralyzed by fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it is sickness. Maybe they're paralyzed with offense. And what they need is for us to gather and each of us take a corner of the stretcher and be like, no way. We are not going to stop until you are healed and you are fulfilling your purpose. Maybe it's you that's on the stretcher. And God is saying, no way. I'm going to send someone around you that will see your need and they will be practical. They will lift up your stretcher and they will walk you to my feet. I want to be that friend that has a paralyzed friend. And when I see the door crowded, when I see us being met, by obstacles, when I see my friend in the church that's maybe having suicidal thoughts, that's maybe, you know, suffering from homosexuality, that's thinking or contemplating about losing their spouse. I want to be the friend that looks at the stretcher and says, I can lift this up, and by golly, I can go to the roof if we have to, and I can break open the roof until we both see Jesus. I wrote on your announcement there, it says, my friend couldn't get to Jesus, so I. So we what? What's your story? What's your story about a love that is unending and full of, full of Jesus, that it branded you so much that someone said, I, I couldn't help but change because you invested in me. I couldn't help but change because you loved me. My friend Marika is from Germany and she recently uh, went to some trainings with, uh, to be a midwife, to be like a, a doula. And she said, uh, Shanna, they have this term that says holding space. And um, I was like, oh. <laughs> she said, uh, basically, the midwife or the nurse, the doula in the room, gets to know the mom so much and the possible outcomes that could come. You know, the agony, the pain. You know, something happened naturally. Maybe something going wrong or everything going right. But that midwife, that doula, they have the plan. Okay, they know what's to happen. So when that mom goes into labor and she loses her mind, you know, and the pain is increased or in emergency, that, that midwife will, will stay in place there. And the term holding space, um, they've seen that with a midwife in the room, it cuts down cesarean sections by 30%. But that holding space is meaning, I know what the purpose of this place is. I've had relationship with you. I've been intimate with you. I know the ultimate goal. And if something were to go off track, I'm going to hold that space of sanity. And I will continue through the plan, no matter what you're going through. I think as the church, we need to hold space. I'm holding the plan. I see you struggling and my love's going to be practical. I'm going to reach out to you, but I'm going to hold the space because ultimately I believe in your purpose. I believe in the redemption power of Christ. I'm going to hold space for you. When I can't get to Jesus and it looks like it's crowded, I'll cut a hole in the roof if I have to to invest in you, to hold space for you, to make sure that you're on purpose, to restore you without my opinion, without my judgment, but because I love you. I recently had, Aaron and I had a friend, um, we were in ministry with them, and she had a baby, and after she had a baby, uh, she found out that her husband had been cheating on her many times. It was kind of a gruesome story, and 
I remember her telling me, and I just kind of sat in shock, like, oh, <laughs> you know, didn't we just do a worship service with you? You know, just like, you know, just kind of in this place of confusion, I guess. And um, I took a deep breath because I could feel the Lord showing me how to love them. And I said, wow, this is not good. This is not probably according to plan. You just had a baby. You're probably really emotional right now. You're probably really feeling some hardcore rejection. But I want you to know that if you say the word, I will fight for your marriage. I know it's gruesome. I know it's crazy. And I agree with you. Like, whoa. But me being your sister and knowing your purpose, I'm not going to join in the amazement and the woo of all he's done. But I'll just stand in your place of purpose with you. Your purpose that your marriage can be restored. That it will be whole. He will be delivered. So I'll stay right here holding space for you until deliverance comes. Because that's what we do when we go to weddings and we say, will you be accountable to them? for better or for worse? Will you pray for them? <laughs> Christian, don't abandon your branding. You're branded with love. Don't abandon your call. You have deliverance on you. Don't abandon restoration. God restores in a way that we could never see and he keeps no record of wrong. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for destiny and for destiny's family. And I just ask right now that everybody in this room would feel your love. And because of that love, Lord Jesus, their only response then is to love those around them. I just fill up our cup, I fill up our room with an incense that your fragrance of Christ is so much more than I could ever imagine. You are a good, good father. Your love is so without end, unfathomable, that it's practical. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I would hope that my testimony of his love would call you to his love. So if you'd like to ask him into your heart this morning, would you repeat after me? In fact, let's just lay hands on our neighbors next to us. Say, dear Jesus, I declare you as Lord, my deliverer, a savior, the one who loves me with no end. Forgive me of my sin. And I declare you as king of my life. Love thrust me to purpose. In your precious name, amen.